It's great to be here. It's, a, it's always a privilege, really, to be asked to come and speak. And, and it's a, I think as speakers, we get more out of the uh, process of, of bringing this to you than uh, you guys get. But hopefully, uh, you can get a glimpse of uh, what I've been learning over these last few weeks as I've looked at part of David's life. Um, now, before we do that, we are going to just hand the, the FIT team. Now, the FIT team have just been absolutely awesome this morning. They've been up and down, communion, offering, uh, welcoming, and now they've got another job. So let's give the FIT team a really big hand, because they are just awesome. They come super early, they get organised, and they just do stuff that we need done, and they're just awesome people who worship God through their service, so that's really cool. But I did this in the first service, but I think it's important, again, I do it now. And that is, I have a confession. Because some of you I might have sinned against last Saturday night when I was here, I was one of the leaders uh, at FaZe. FaZe is our intermediate age group uh, that Brian Kirby and Jordan lead. And last Saturday night, we had 93 intermediate age group kids come here to do the amazing race. And what we did is we had to split into teams. And I was one of the team leaders. And I got seven kids, um, four, uh, six girls and a guy. And, and we were the team. And the amazing race was like the TV program where we had to run effectively for about an hour and a half around Bethlehem. And we had to take photos of this and photos of that. And we had to take a video of the kids busking outside Countdown. And we had to take videos of them going down the slide at the primary school. And we had to do all these activities. And then we had to get back here as fast as we could. right? And the winning team was obviously the winning team. And so anyway, so I got this team of people. And I'm relatively competitive. But the, the group I was given, I thought, OK, well, OK, today's not the competitive day. This is all about enjoying it. And, and my six girls and one guy looked very enthusiastic and keen, but didn't look like winners, really. Um, but anyway, so we're there, and um, I go up and get my thing, and these kids decide on a name. And so one girl wanted the name Apples, um, which, you know, that's fine. Um, and then my daughter, who was in my team, she, she stood up for, for my job, and she wanted to include the word cows, right? Because I deal with a lot with cows in my job. So, so we were called the Apple Cows. Okay, a victorious team name, you'd imagine. So we, we took off, and um, I think we were the last to leave because we are still trying to work out what we did. Now, what I found out that this team of players that I had, they weren't the fastest, but they were thorough. All right, and thorough is good. And so we thoroughly went through our list, top to bottom. Now, the problem with that is that they weren't listed top to bottom in terms of where we were. So we'd run to Countdown and help someone with their groceries, and then we'd run back to Kmart. Oh, and then we had to go back to Countdown to do busking, and then we'd have to come back this way. But we were very thorough, went through our list one by one. We got back here after about an hour and a half of running. They were just awesome, just at it. And we came home about fifth out of nine teams, which I thought, hey, apple cows, we rock. That's, that's awesome. So we were high-fiving. We thought that was pretty good. My son here, he was in the, the top team, you know, the, all the competitive boys were in, the, in that team, and, and they came in like, I don't know, 25 minutes before we did. Okay, but that was all cool. So we had an awesome time once we got past the pain of running for one and a half hours. Um, and as we sat there and as we heard the results, this is when some of you guys as parents might have been turning up to receive your children. And the announcement came, there was only one team that did everything on the list. And they were the winners. And the winners were Apple Cows. Right, this is the point where I think sin came in. Um, 
This is the confessions I've got right now, because at that point, as our fine team name was read out, Apple Cows, pain left, so my legs all of a sudden work again, I jumped up, I think there was some dancing involved, um, I think there was some hollering of whoop, 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 I think I might have called uh, Phil Faulkner and, and uh, Robert Doak losers, <laughs> I think in the past week I've reminded my son that and so, and this was all in front of you parents that had come and pick up your children, a complete lack of humility. And like, I just, I just thought I can't come and bring the word of God to you this morning with that sin in my heart about that lack of humility that I showed at that great victory from the apple cows last week. But I'll tell you what, that phase group, 93 kids, intermediate age group, that is a fantastic uh, ministry that our church runs. And the thing is with that group particularly is that the kids aren't there for long, so our volunteers are sometimes a little bit slow to join. And then obviously every year, the kids often go on and so the parents and the volunteers go on with them. So if you've got kids of that age group, or if you just love that age group at all, we'd love some volunteers for that age group. I'm sure Brian Kirby would just love it. Anyway, so that's confessions aside, I feel as though you know, I'm in a good plight now to come and speak to you. Um, now for those of you that don't know me, I am a husband of one that one. I'm a father of three, two are there, one daughter somewhere else. Um, most of my time I spend as a dairy farm consultant, uh, working with dairy farmers in the Waikato, trying to help them through the good times and the not so good times. Uh, we also have um, three dairy farm operations in Australia that uh, we part own and I oversee, and so it's uh, my head on the block if they turn to custard um, at all. So that sort of keeps me busy. In my spare time I um, do some study of theology, I am a true believer that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And for me, who's, I don't enjoy reading too much, so study is a good way to do that. And also believe what Paul says in Philippians, that our love abounds through knowledge and depth of insight. And so to me, having increasing my knowledge and depth of insight is an important part of me uh, loving people better. I've had a new role the last few days, and that is driver instructor. instructor. My son here is just in 16, so the grey hair that you see, it's all appeared since Friday. Um, but no, it's very, very cool. Now, we are looking this morning at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, this is actually a very, very cool chapter that I've come to find. When I first looked at it, I thought this was a really stink chapter for Craig to give me. Um, but as I've looked at it more, I thought, well, this is an amazing chapter. An amazing chapter where we can continue learning about David and his character and his personality. And I've just loved, I grew up in a Christian family and I knew all about David. I knew all about what he did, the good and the bad. I knew a lot about David, but I don't think I ever really knew David until we've gone through this series at church here. And I feel as though as we look at this chapter, we're going to learn a lot more about David nearing the end of his life. And I've titled it Words to Remember. And it's because the first half of this chapter is actually titled David's Last Words or The Last Words of David. Now, it's probably his last writings not his last final words, we probably find them in 1 Kings chapter 2. But these are the last written words of David. And there's something quite special about people's last words, I reckon. And so as we look at David's last words, and we've gone through a series looking at David, let's have a look, and what do we learn about David as we look at what he wrote at the very end of his life? The other half of the chapter is a list of David's mighty warriors. Now in itself, it's just a pretty boring list of people. 
But what we're going to find is that there's some very, very important and incredibly encouraging and uh, motivating lessons that we can learn from this list of mighty warriors. So words to remember. We've just handed out some paper and pens, and at the end of this, we're going to quickly go through this chapter, um, and then I'm going to give you time at the end. We're going to have an item played, and I'm going to encourage you folk to write down some words to remember. I don't want them to be your last words. That's why I haven't written it as our last words. I'm hoping we're all going to live a little bit longer. Okay, but today I want to give us the opportunity to write some words to remember. And as we do this, it's going to be quite a challenging time, I think. And I want to give you an example. Here's a, here's a page that my nana, who passed away about 10 years ago, uh, she wrote this and gave it to all of her grandchildren. All, uh, how many of us? 16, maybe? So it's all of us grandchildren. And what she did is that she lifted out, listed out some of my grandfather's uh, favourite hymns. And uh, I'll tell you, just out uh, in the first service, uh, I got a... One lady came up to me and she had been saved through my grandfather. It's amazing how the generations just keep doing stuff. And part of what she wrote, so she listed out the, the, the hymns that he loved and that he meditated on. She said, to our dear grandchildren, this list of hymns was found in Granddad's Bible. Hymns he loved and sang so often in his heart while he meditated morning by morning over the scriptures. Granddad lived on the threshold of heaven only one short step and he was there. No sin, fully satisfied. Wonderful. Words to remember. And this morning I want to give us an opportunity as we look at David's life and we look at his last words. Maybe we could write some words to remember that maybe could be in our Bibles. Maybe it could be in our kids' Bibles. Maybe it could be in our grandkids' Bibles uh, over time. It's fascinating, isn't it? Last words. People's last words. We think how often they can describe stuff about themselves that is quite um, you know, particular to them. Here's, here's some last words. I googled a few people. What, you know, f- last words of famous people. So here's Leonardo da Vinci. His last words, either written or spoken, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. How's that, eh? And there's a commentator just said, I guess the Mona Lisa isn't good enough. All right, so here's a man that, that his artwork was Mona Lisa, still up in the uh, Paris uh, Museum there. What do you call it? Gallery? Okay, here's someone else. You guys will know this guy. I believe that a life lived for music is an existence spent wonderfully, and this is what I've just dedicated my life to. Uh, what's that? Luciano Pavarotti, one of the best voices in the world. This was one of his last words. How about this guy? How's it interesting that people's last words so describe so much about them? Alfred Hitchcock, here's a guy that uh, directed many, many movies, and his, his, his whole movies was based around thrillers and suspense and never knowing what was going to happen next and what's the ending going to be like, and it was his whole thing in his movies, and here were some of his last words. Whenever one never knows the ending, one has to die to know what ha- exactly happens after death, although Catholics have their hopes. All right, so now here's a, here's a bit of a test. I've got some movie characters, some last words for movie characters. All right, you cannot win Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Who was that? Who? Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, Ben Kenobi, Star Wars, beautiful. Okay, just as he's fighting Darth Vader. All right, here's another one. 
Freedom! Who is this? William Wallace. That wasn't a very good Scottish accent, was it? Okay. Luke, there is another Skywalker. Yoda, one of my favourites. Here's a New Zealand flavour. Precious, 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 my precious. Oh, my precious. Who's that? Who? Gollum. Now, I had a problem with Gollum because there was no picture that I thought was appropriate. Okay, so the nearest thing I could find was... Last words, people's last words tell us so much about them. So as we look at this chapter today, we're going to read these uh, verses of David and uh, hopefully we'll learn some, some words about him. Right, are you ready? Second Samuel chapter 23, you with me? Any Bibles? No? Okay, it's on the screen, good. Okay, these are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The Rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to, my, to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. David's last written words. And if you read his last words in First Kings, similar to this, there's that warrior-ness about him, isn't it? Finishing on the fact of dealing to all those bad people. Okay, well, what do we learn from David's last words? I've botched up these slides a bit, so the main point is the second line, and then the bottom line is the one, is the verses that it comes from. The first thing we see is that David remembered where he came from. At the very start, he recognises that he's a son of Jesse. Now we've got to remember again, this is David the king, David the slayer of Goliath, David the warrior that's killed many, that, that's led the nation of Israel through many, many victories and who's ruled with a great hand. This is the mighty King David. And we see in his last words that he remembered where he came from. I think a very big characteristic of good leaders, of very, very significant people who do significant things is that they remember where they came from. The second thing we see is that David was confident of God's hand in his life. When he sees exalted and anointed by the God of Jacob, you could see as David's finishing his life that this clear anointing from God was so important to him that it got him through the times of terrible uh, times where he, he uh, strayed and he made poor decisions. He kept coming back knowing and was confident of God's call in his life. Right to the very end, David was confident, going back to this point where he was anointed by the God of Jacob. How important this was for David, that he had that point, that very clear anointing, and he was confident of God's hand on his life. 
The next thing is what was important to David was not necessarily what was important to others. And as I read through this, and he says about being the hero of Israel's songs, I just thought, no, I would, I would, have, I would have described you, David, as, as the, the hero of killing Goliath, of the hero of the armies that, that won so many battles, of the, of the king that reigned after the king who was after God's own heart, uh, of all those things. But what was important to David in this situation was that he was the hero of Israel's songs. And I don't know how many of us I would just never have come to that conclusion that David, in his mind, being the hero of Israel's songs, was worthy of the last writing. And yet to David, that's what was important to him. And I bet that wasn't the number one thing that was important to others, but to between David and God, that was his worthy of saying at the end. Now I love this billboard here. We need to talk God. And we see in David's last words that David heard's God's voice when he says that the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke and the rock of Israel said to me, there's just a clear feeling from David in these words that him and God were just in this communication all the time. And yet I don't ever recall, there could have been, but I don't recall a big booming voice to God, uh, from God to David at any stage. And I personally have never heard a big booming voice from God. But in David's mind, it was a communication that was clear. He knew when God spoke. And I know that there's times in my life where the, the God, Lord has spoken clearly through a text message that's come, through an email that's arrived, through a comment from someone, through a phone call, through the word of God. And there's so many ways that God wants to speak to us, and it is so important that we hear God's voice. And David heard God's voice David saw and appreciated how important it was to be living, in his case, ruling in righteousness, and how good it is. Look how good it is. It's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. Even better, it's like the brightness after rain that brings forward what? What? Brings forward grass. Oh, I love grass. That, that, is, that is pure joy. The brightness after rain that brings forward grass from the earth. Oh, I just love grass after rain. Our farms are in Australia where drought is common and fresh grass after rain is just beautiful. Now, David here must have known there were so many times he was not ruling in righteousness and how disastrous that was for him. And we've heard from Colin and from Craig so many times as we've heard these stories, how much turmoil was in David at these times where he was not ruling in righteousness. And yet we see in these last words how he just comes back to the point of when you rule in righteousness, when you rule in fear of the God, how great that is. And David in his last words, in his last words was not focusing on the times that were not great. He was recognizing that when he was ruling in righteousness, in fear of God, how good that was. And part of that was David's knowledge that God was faithful to his promises. I bet when we sit down and write words to remember, one of the hardest things will be to ignore the stuff that we've done wrong, to ignore the mistakes we've made, to ignore the sins that we've done. 
and not rely on God's promises. And David was here, very clear, knowing exactly what we know about him, knowing the terrible mistakes he made. And yet he was sitting here at this last time, knowing God was faithful to his promise. The faithful of the promise of the everlasting covenant. We heard the verse at the baptisms, the Lord will never leave you and forsake you. The amount of promises there are in the word of God. And David believed and trusted that God was faithful to his promises. And that far outdid any of the trauma and the disasters that David had brought on in his life. David also recognised at the end that God was just. If there was evil to be punished, David knew that God would deal to it. And as again, as a bit of a reflection compared to recent weeks, we've heard about the, how David's family tried to uh, bring about justice in their own strength. And yet David was here recognising that justice, that God is just and God will deal with people as he desires. So as we look at these things from David, and as we think, as we're going to hopefully write some words to remember later on, here are some things that we can learn from David. He appreciated the beginnings. Confident of God's call. Know what is important to you. It's important to hear God's voice. Living godly lives brings joy. God is faithful to his promises. And God is just. These are all things that are so worthy to write so that we can remember. The second part of the chapter, verses 8 to 39, is a list of David's mighty warriors. And if you've read the chapter, you've probably gone, mm, mm, next chapter. Right? A list of names, most of them we can't pronounce very well. And we just think, they're a list of names. What, what can we learn there? And yet as I've looked at this list and seen the people on it, and I've seen some of the fascinating descriptions of what they've done, I've hopefully found some lessons uh, that we can learn from. The first lesson that I've learned, and we're going to read through some of the verses as we're going, is that the warriors are willing to fight for you. Let's uh, read some of these verses and excuse the pronunciation of the names. Joshebeth, a Tekemonite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zariah, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Now just so you know, in this list of uh, names, there's 37 names, two lists of three, and then one extra guy that we're going to read about, and then a group of 30. But we read this, and we see one person killing 800 and another person killing 300. Now in many ways, uh, the thought of killing one person, let alone that many, uh, horrifies us. And I think rightfully so, we protect God's life that he's given people as much as we possibly can. But the lesson we can learn here is that the warriors were willing to fight for David. This was not a simple battle. These warriors stood out and fought for their leader. The mighty warriors were willing to fight for David. Then we see that warriors stand firm. End of verse 9, then the Israelites retreated, but Eliza stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. 
Israel, was just the next verse, Israel, Israelite, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah, Shammah, took his stand in the middle of the field and defended it and struck the Philistines down. Two examples of warriors that stood firm. When the time got tough, when everybody else left, these two, on their own, stood firm. And we'll read later on how God used those two people. The next thing, warriors are willing to make sacrifices. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistines' line, lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Here's a leader that was probably simply now blown away by what his mighty warriors just did. I could imagine he didn't expect them to do what he desired, and yet he said it, and they did it. But he refused to drink it when they returned with the water. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. He said, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their own lives? And David would not drink it. David's mighty warriors were willing to make sacrifices for him. The other thing we've seen here is that all warriors are important but not equal. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Gabzeel, performed great exploits. I love how they write some of the stuff. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. And then it says, Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honour than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. There's nothing wrong with ranking, folks. In a world where we don't like to have superiors and, and people below or above, or, you know, we're all best as friends, okay? Sometimes there's ranking, but it doesn't take away at all from the importance of all the warriors here. All of the warriors of David were important. Some were greater than the others for sure, but they were all very, very important. Our warrior's work cannot be extinguished. For those of us who have been going through this journey at church here, this name will probably ring a bell. Uriah the Hittite. The very last name on the list. The husband of Bathsheba. The mighty warrior who David cheated on effectively and then murdered. But no matter what David did in the end to this guy, to Uriah, it didn't take away from the fact that he was a mighty warrior. So often, so often we give up on people because of something they do or something we do, and yet we can never extinguish the work of the mighty warriors. And even though David ended this so badly for one of his mighty warriors, his name was still on that list, his work could not be extinguished. So why are mighty warriors important? Why were they listed at all? Why do we talk about it? We're in those two verses on those two mighty warriors where I talked about where they stood firm. At the end of those two verses, it says, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord does victory in our lives through our mighty warriors. 
David's life that was so, so full of amazing, mighty acts was done through his mighty warriors. David did none of this on his own. He certainly did it in God's strength, most of the good stuff, all the good stuff, but he did it through his mighty warriors. If David, if David had started against Goliath and then carried on from then without mighty warriors, he wouldn't have gone anywhere. The Lord brings about victory through our mighty warriors. So as we look at this list of things that we've learned from mighty warriors, my challenge this morning that is we've got this piece of paper and maybe we're going to write down some words to remember. Maybe on the other side of it we can list the mighty warriors in our lives. And the challenge we have in the society we've got is that we're very individualistic. We actually don't like to have to rely on other people. And yet, you know, we cannot win the victories that God wants for us in our lives if we don't have mighty warriors in our lives. And if we're living our lives and we can't think of some mighty warriors in our lives, then I'd suggest we go and find some. Find some people willing to fight for you. Find some people willing to stand firm, to make sacrifice, to allow God to work through them. Maybe we need to be someone else's mighty warrior and be that person who will fight, to be that person that will stand firm, to make sacrifices. Whether we're the 30 or the mighty three, doesn't matter. We can be that mighty warrior for someone. Maybe we need to forgive someone or maybe we need to be forgiven, or feel as though we need to be forgiven. But let's not give up on the work that we do as mighty warriors. So I'm going to ask Colin and Grace to come up. They're going to sing an item for us. And while they're doing that, I'm going to ask you to, with that piece of paper, with a pen, or on your phone, if you want it on your phone, or somehow, I want to ask you to think about some words that you can write down. It could be words to remember. The creative ones amongst us will think this is maybe quite cool. For people like me, who aren't that creative, you'll be thinking, blank. Dunk. Just allow God to speak to you this morning. I think God's got some words to remember that he wants you to write down. And I think he's got some mighty warriors in your lives that you need to list out. And maybe you've got people around you that you need to be a mighty warrior for. So while these guys are doing item, just have this time between you and God and, and that uh, piece of paper. And um, yeah, see how you go.